Hey everyone and welcome back to the 20 Minute Marketing Podcast. I hope you are having a great day and thank you for listening to the show. We really appreciate your support. For anyone that might be a new listener, my name is Liam and I interview a different guest every week on marketing topics like social media, content, paid ads, SEO and lots more. We try to keep our intros really short and then we'll talk about a specific area of marketing for about 15 minutes which is then followed by a quick outro, which is usually pretty fun. So let's get started with today's episode. I'm really excited to welcome Ed Stapleton to the show. Ed is the co-founder of Shandy Shack, which is a really exciting business, and I can't wait to chat to Ed and learn more. So hey, Ed, welcome to the show, and how are you today? Hi, Liam. Thank you for having me. Very, very good. Thanks. Good to be talking to you. Yeah, not a problem. Looking forward to chatting with you. So first of all, could you give us a brief introduction on yourself and Shandy Shack, please? Of course. So uh, my name's Ed Stapleton. I'm a co-founder of a drinks brand called Shandy Shack. So we are the creators of the original craft beer, Shandy. And what we're doing is we're taking what we believe to be a secret obsession of UK drinkers and bringing it into the 21st century, giving it a, a brush up for modern times by brewing up delicious craft beers and mixing them with our own natural sodas. So we produce a range of shandies which are all vegan friendly gluten-free and lower in alcohol so yeah that's uh, that's who we are yeah awesome i think it's really great that you found this big gap in the market and let's be honest when it's sunny outside or you're a designated driver or something um then who doesn't love a good shandy yeah definitely i think definitely we've, we've seen that while people don't necessarily talk about it that much and i think it's been kind of uh stigmatized a bit in the past it is something that a lot of people enjoy. Uh, in fact, we we did some market research recently that indicated over two in five UK adults are, as we say, partial to a shandy. So that's uh, over 20 million adults in the UK, which is not an insignificant amount of people. That is definitely a huge market. Um, and I couldn't tell you a single brand that offers shandy besides yourselves, to be honest. Um, so it shows the potential there. So let's get started with the episode. I'm going to be asking Ed some questions around business growth, some of the marketing tactics that they've used, uh, funding, putting Shandy Shack on shelves and stuff like that. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, stay tuned and we'll dive in. So let's open up this main section by going back to the start of Shandy Shack, Ed. Um, I know we've touched on the value of the Shandy industry, but I'd love to find out what the clicking point was for you uh, when you launched the brand and sort of what brought everything together. So it was quite an organic sort of uh, founding moment, I suppose. We were three friends. So Tom, Fred and I were three guys that essentially loved drinking, but could no longer sort of hack the hangover as we could in our uni days. So three guys in the wrong side of our 20s that were looking for better ways to drink, basically, that, that suited the lifestyles we were living. So Tom and Fred were both NHS doctors and I was in management consulting. And we just found that there were so many moments in life where we'd want that social experience of drinking, but without the, the kind of negative side effects. And I think we turned to the Shandy, which is obviously quite a famous and sort of well-known lower alcohol drink in pubs around the country, for better or for worse, and discovered that it just tasted amazing when you made it with the right beers and the right sodas. It didn't have to be an arbitrary kind of 50-50 cheap lager and sort of gun lemonade from a pub. It could be a really high quality double dry hopped IPA with 
a natural lemonade or a, an elderflower soda, for instance. So essentially, we we started to experiment, and I still vividly remember the first time I had a shandy with Tom. We were in the Brecon Beacons. Um, we'd just been walking with another one of our friends, and we got to this sort of craft beer place in Wales. They were serving some delicious pies as well, and uh, Tom walked up to the bar and sort of bravely and proudly ordered himself a shandy. And we both kind of looked at him like he was on planet Mars, but essentially gave us a sip of his uh, his craft beer shandy. And I just remember this sort of eureka moment, basically, where uh, that taste just really kind of blew me away. And I don't think we stopped talking about shandy for the three days after that. So yeah, the three of us just really kind of fell in love with the taste of craft beer shandy. And that was really where it all began in terms of motivation. But we we figured the best way to kind of start would be to test whether people liked the idea of that or the concept of it as much as we did. So we thought the quickest way to do that would be to build a, a pop-up bar, which was why we called ourselves Shandy Shack in the original days, because we do actually have a pop-up bar, a hand-built pop-up bar that we used to take touring around to, to festivals, etc., to expose the brand and the products to as many people as possible and to really test the idea of that. So yeah, we very much started with sort of minimum viable product theory in mind and trying to get out there and in front of customers as quickly as we could. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And I think it's great that the business developed from your love of Shandy and from that experience in the pub. And I think you're absolutely right. A lot of people do associate the drink with a 50-50 split. The first thing that I think of is a Carlin Shandy. So you've done a great job with your packaging and branding to provide a full experience to drinkers and sort of change that image. That sort of leads me on to my next question. So there's so much consumer choice out there when it comes to alcoholic beverages. How have you managed to get Shandy Shack in front of the right audience and gain traction? Yeah, so there, there's a hell of a lot of amazing kind of brands out there in the drink space and also some sort of huge players with much bigger marketing budgets than we'll certainly have for the foreseeable future. So I think you have to be quite clever and tactical with as a startup brand uh, to, to kind of find those routes to market that really cut through and that resonate with consumers. So for us, certainly kind of a core pillar of our journey was that uh, brand activation through our pop-up bar and using authenticity as a tool to kind of really drive home a consumer connection. So throughout the summer of 2019, we were on the road in the Shandy Shack going to all these festivals around the country, whether that be in Coventry or Cornwall. We all went there as founders. We were the face of the brand almost um, and we put shandies in as many hands as we could. And we gave this amazing experience where possible uh, of ordering that first shandy with from our bar in an environment, whether that was like a sunny outdoor environment, really trying to generate that experience uh, rather than just selling a product. So really, that's kind of how we started and the, the sort of principle we built the brand on. But obviously, as you grow as a business, you need to find ways to scale up uh, the way that you engage consumers. So that has been a, a challenge and one that we, you know, we're continuing to kind of work hard on. But I think generally speaking, one of the ways that startup brands like ours can ensure sort of cut through and, and resonance with people is by staying authentic, by building that challenger brand mindset and, and doing the things that the big, the big guys can't do. So being really agile and mobile and, uh, and responding to, to trends really quickly. I think that's, that's some of the key principles we operate with. It's interesting because we've talked about personal branding a lot on this podcast. So it's really great that you've mentioned the value of getting involved and engaging with your customers at places like festivals and in and around your area. Um, so it's great to hear that that's had positive impacts for your brand. As you've scaled up then and got bigger, 
Are there any marketing tactics or channels that you've specifically focused on that might have helped generate positive results or has your growth mainly been organic? We're still pretty early in that marketing journey, so we haven't had huge budgets to play with and we've always been quite a frugal company in in some ways. So the answer is, is no, there's not kind of a paid channel that we've really invested deeply in apart from, I suppose, pitch fees for events, which through 2019 was was our, our big investment channel. Through 2020, obviously, the landscape changed quite significantly. And I think March 2020 for our business was a real turning point in terms of changing from an events-driven operation to a, a product-focused company. I would say that largely the traction we've developed has been organic, whether that's using kind of social channels and developing a really small but engaged audience that kind of stay very loyal to our to our brand or kind of tapping into networks local to local to where we are and where we operate. That's definitely been something that I think we've we've considered to be well a secret, but now not so secretly a weapon in our marketing stack is kind of really accessing local communities around uh, where our product's based and combining that authenticity of the brand with uh, a real strong local connection with with consumers in our areas. That's definitely something that's worked really well for us, and I think that's something where again you you engender that same level of loyalty and engagement with with the brand as a result. Yeah, sounds good. I think more and more consumers are turning to local businesses and want that personal connection uh, when they do make a purchase. So if you can get them to buy into your story and they know that they're helping a local business, then they're probably more inclined to purchase. uh, And that's sort of validated by your answer there. Let's move on to something that's probably going to be a bit random to some of our listeners. Um, But one thing that really interests me is the rise of hard seltzers like White Claw and Truly. They're super popular in the US right now, but also growing here in the UK as well. For anyone that doesn't know what they are, they are a low calorie alcoholic drink that mixes sparkling water with fruit and they're becoming a lot more popular in supermarkets. So I'd love to hear if the rise in seltzers has impacted you at all in maybe a positive or negative way um, and what your angle is on that. Yeah, so you're spot on. I think hard seltzers are a, are a fast growing category and and I think we'd be we'd be fools if we didn't pay attention to that. They're a hugely kind of functional drink and have those those benefits in terms of the low calorie nature, as well as ticking all those modern sort of dietary requirements such as vegan and, and gluten free. It's a really interesting space. And I think by the virtue of many sort of larger groups putting a lot of money into the category, I think there will be some traction as a result. And I think you see that success that's happened in the US as well. It's, it's hard to imagine that not happening in the UK. I think broadly speaking, in our, from our perspective, it's something I find fascinating from a cultural perspective and, and something where I feel like we, we have the advantage at Shandy Shack of, of sitting on a category in Shandy that a lot of people understand and recognize. The vast majority of people would be able to tell you that a Shandy, broadly speaking, is a concoction of beer and lemonade. The, the very fact that you had to explain what a seltzer was to your listeners in asking that question I think is an indication of the fact that it's not a widely understood beverage. And I think there is an education journey that uh, seltzer brands need to go on to get people kind of familiar with the category. I don't think we have that same issue with Shandy. I think our education journey is more convincing people that Shandy can be a premium quality drink rather than a sort of a compromise, which is kind of historically what it's been known as in this country. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a fascinating category and there are some really kind of strong challenger brands certainly in, in the space including sort of dirty drinks over here as one that we're we're close to and and we rate highly but i think um 
yeah, we, we don't necessarily see ourselves in the same category as those guys, but we do probably, we probably will end up competing for some of the same drinkers, given that we do have some of the, the functional benefits that, um, that hard seltzers can offer. But yeah, my kind of conclusion and my overriding view on it is Shandy has a culture to it in this country. There's a, there's a lot of stigmas and associations with the drink, which are hilarious in as much as they are not necessarily true or modern in their sort of feel so we very much will look to play with that in the humor of our brand and in the in the way that we bring the brand to market yeah i never thought that i'd be talking about the difference between shandy and hard seltzers on the podcast uh, but that was a fascinating answer and i think you're absolutely right um i sometimes drink white claw and pretty much every single time that i do someone will ask me what it is and pull a weird face when i try to explain it so i definitely think the seltzer industry has a long way to go here in the uk Moving slightly away from marketing then for our last few questions, I saw that Shandy Shack is now available at Sainsbury's. So I would love to find out how you pitch to one of the largest supermarkets in the country and if there are any insights that you could share with us. We essentially were part of a programme called Taste of the Future, uh, which is run by the Sainsbury's Future Brands team between November 2020 and February 2021. So as part of that programme, you get a listing in 70 stores around the country, predominantly in the South and Southeast. And it's a kind of plinth end bay in most of those stores, slightly out of the way, you're not in your category, but it gives you the opportunity to, to prove yourself essentially to one of the major grocers uh, and show that your product can generate the kind of rate of sale and the interest and the traction that, that they want from new suppliers. So it was an amazing opportunity for us. We're kind of off shelf now, we're waiting to hear whether, whether they will want to take us on permanently. So we've got all of our fingers crossed. Uh, we're touching a lot of wood on that front at the moment. But in terms of the process to to gain the listing, it's actually something which I think we've gone on quite a unique journey with over the last two years, in the sense that when we first spoke to Sainsbury's, uh, we probably just a month earlier produced our first batch of bottled shandy, um, which was about 3,000, 4,000 bottles. So literally nothing in the grand scheme of in the grand scheme of drinks production. It was a tiny, tiny sort of run, almost like a proof of concept run. And uh, we took our we took our brand to an event called London Food Tech Week in uh, I think it would have been May 2019. And um, it was an amazing experience. We, we were offered the chance to do like a little brand showcase there. So we did a little pitch outdoors on a roof terrace uh, and had loads of people drinking our bottles of shandy for probably the first time really that we'd put our products into that many hands in London for sure and we met one of the Sainsbury's Future Brands team there and he was like I'm really interested in the concept please keep in touch it's something that we'd love to hear more about and uh, it wasn't for another sort of almost 18 months that we went onto shelf in Sainsbury's after that so we knew at the time that we spoke to the guy from the team that we weren't ready our branding was awful <laughs> back then the product wasn't consistent uh, we hadn't produced it any decent level of volume so we knew we weren't ready but what we did also know was that our ambition was to see the products on supermarket shelves one day so we essentially over the following kind of 12 months I would say we continued to build that relationship we stayed in touch with with the guy that we'd met and uh, we asked them for advice and pointers on how to build the business and it got to a point where when we hit March 2020 our business kind of really actually accelerated quite a lot from a D2C perspective and a, and a retail perspective. We got a lot more traction quite quickly with people going into lockdown and looking for drinks, interesting drinks to try at home. We saw this kind of burst of, of support and of uh, new customers coming through the door to the point where we actually had a call from Sainsbury's in June 2020 to invite us to pitch for the programme. 
so we we took them up on it i think we we were all of the consensus that we were ready at that point in terms of the branding being evolved the second product being in market our supply chain being stable so we went into the pitch having been invited which i think is something that we felt very fortunate for because i think a lot of people you know bang down the door to get in front of sainsbury's and we were quite lucky in that we'd developed that relationship over time so yeah we we had the pitch with sainsbury's and fortunately they saw some potential in us and and gave us a chance from november so we had that kind of four month period of a ramp up and preparation into the listing where we kind of had to had to very quickly teach ourselves what it took to make a supermarket listing work and then we flew into it in november and gave it our our all and and yeah, as I said, we're kind of waiting to hear what the outcome was, but certainly it was an incredible experience for us. Yeah, sounds like quite a journey then. Um, and I'll definitely cross my fingers for you. Let's hope that you get some positive news and that our listeners across the entire country can grab a pack of your shandies uh, from a local Sainsbury's in the near future. So one final question in this main section. We've had a huge range of guests on the show from all angles of business and marketing. But I've never spoken about funding and I've never had a guest that's gone through a funding round recently. So I'd be really interested to cover that for a few minutes since that happened to you. So what was that process like and what was the experience like for you um, during that funding phase? Sure. So it came to a point last year where we knew that in order to take the business through the gears and to to sort of ramp up our distribution or marketing, we would have to create some, some budget from somewhere in the bottom line as a kind of startup drinks brand, your margins, it takes you time to build build margin into your products based on the, the volumes that you can afford to produce in. So we knew that we weren't going to generate bottom line profit that would fund our growth anytime soon. But what we did also know was that we had seen more than just glimpses of the potential and the, the kind of scale that we could reach with the business if we did have a bit of cash in the kitty. So um Essentially, we made the decision to go and seek investment to, to sort of grow the business and to invest in, in marketing and distribution and, and reach that potential. The process was pretty all-encompassing, I would say, and it's, it is a long, long process with a lot of thought that needs to go in and kind of a lot of preparation that needs to be done across all areas of the business. You know, investors will lift up every single detail and interrogate every single facet of, of your business before deciding that you're worthwhile or not. Um, and you have to be prepared for that. So we prepared our investment materials. We started speaking to sort of contacts that we'd developed as a business and contacts that we had from prior and, you know, went on that journey of kind of valuing our business based on the market opportunity that we that we foresaw and that total addressable market. And uh, thankfully, we um, we managed to identify three, well, more than three, but we ended up taking three uh, angel investors on board who are all kind of experienced entrepreneurs themselves not necessarily in the FMCG space, but certainly with plenty of transferable skills that they could help us with. And we were we were happy to close the round in, in January 2021, having kind of fully bootstrapped the business until then, uh, which, yeah, was a large cause for the frugality that we, <laughs> we'd operated with until then. But um, it was amazing to have that kind of potential unlocked, as it were, with with that cash in the bank and to be able to kind of switch up the narrative uh, into kind of how we can really drive forwards our national growth rather than kind of constantly counting the pennies. And yeah, I think probably the most amazing thing about having the the investors on board has been the level of kind of experience and advice and, and, and network they've been able to offer us straight away within the first sort of couple of months. They've started to help us with with uh, with really valuable connections and and have pointed us in the right direction on topics that we weren't sure about. So yeah, it was a long and arduous process. I think it taught us a lot about not just kind of pitching our business and understanding our market opportunity, but also the rigor and the diligence of 
growing a business and and how you kind of forecast and measure your your progress you know your journey in terms of valuation to the future and your your kind of potential to return to those investors into whether that be an exit or different sort of forms of of equity release over time but yeah it was it was a great process for us and yeah we're really excited to have the guys on board yeah that's awesome um i've had lots of fun listening to your stories and learning some of the behind the scenes things that have gone on at shandy shack um before we move on to the final section of the episode could you quickly tell us what's in store for the future definitely so i think our ambition with the brand is to put shandy in the forefront of people's uh imagination with regards to to drinks and particularly sort of lower alcohol drinks in this country so we want to get you know shandies in hands all around the country and turn it into the the nation's favorite drink really bring those secret shandy drinkers out of the closet and get them shouting and raving about our shandies but beyond that i think we have some big plans for international growth as well with an understanding of the markets that exist for comparable products around europe and further afield so we have big plans for growth in 2021 and beyond sounds like there are some big plans in store then and i'm looking forward to watching from afar I'm sure that you'll smash all of those goals. So we're going to close out the main section of the episode here. I'll be asking two quick and fun questions to Ed to wrap up the episode. So stay tuned for a few more minutes. So my first question in this closing section, Ed, is do you have a memorable story from your career that jumps out at you? Um, It could be something funny, embarrassing or inspirational, for example. I have quite a few kind of memorable experiences um, in my previous life before Shandy Shack. I was a management consultant, as I said earlier. And prior to that, I worked for uh, an e-commerce company called The Hut Group. And I think I had some amazing experiences across those two companies, uh, particularly. So I was at Accenture in the consulting world. One particularly sort of standout experience that I had was on a project with Accenture in Dubai. I was working with a sort of luxury hotel group out there. And my role was kind of helping them to redefine their guest experience using kind of technology. So going into hotels and basically picking out all of the first world problems that a a luxury hotel guest might perceive in their experience, which I must admit took some getting used to. But certainly we we ran a, a sort of workshop for a lot of our stakeholders during that project. And even just seeing that world broadly was an amazing experience for me. But I think it gave me this this understanding of the level of detail and the level of service that goes into building a, a sort of hospitality business that is in the top the top sort of tier of hospitality experiences around the world. Just that that level of service that goes in and and kind of taking that mindset and and applying it to different to different industries and digital experiences and uh, spaces was quite inspirational for me. That particular evening after the workshop, we had a pretty amazing meal on the top of the Dubai Opera House in this sort of open ceiling. I don't know what you call it. Rooftop restaurant, I suppose, uh, with these amazing people that had such kind of colourful careers in in hospitality and nightlife. And that as an experience was pretty incredible for me, just, just to be sat around a table with these guys who are like hospitality kind of gurus, having kind of worked on this project with them and having the chance to kind of pick their brains on on how they ensure kind of five-star service um, across all of the pillars of hospitality, whether that be dining, accommodation and such. I think that was a, a really sort of memorable time for me. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome experience and definitely a unique story that is unlike any other that we've had on the show. So to close out the episode, do you have a business or marketing resource that you might use on a regular basis, which could help our listeners? 
I'd say there's a trio of books that really kind of have inspired me and it's kind of aligned with my background in sort of tech consulting. So those were Zero to One by Peter Thiel. I think he is a bit of a interesting character by some accounts, but um, certainly the theory in that book of sort of bringing something new and doing something different, I think was quite inspiring for me. The Lean Startup by Eric Ries is another quite interesting book in terms of how to approach building a business. And I think the principles of that can be applied outside of tech as well as within tech. And finally, uh, there's one called Hacking Hacking for Growth, which is quite an interesting guide to sort of growth hacking and sort of very ultra modern marketing techniques, or at least the approach to testing techniques and experimentation culture within marketing which I think is also quite inspiring in terms of the approach that you can take to marketing in this day and age to, to drive results. And then broadly speaking, kind of on an ongoing basis, uh, some of the things that I love to read are Courier Magazine. I'm really fascinated in sort of new business stories in general and kind of startup stories. So Courier is a great magazine for that. You have Monocle Magazine, which covers some really interesting business stories. And yeah, all of the, all of the podcasts, Liam, that, that you guys work so hard to produce where you cover kind of stories of people in business and people with with stories to tell i think i find them really inspiring yeah some really cool resources there and thanks for sharing them i know that our audience often enjoys a good book suggestion so thanks for sharing some hardback books with us we are going to wrap up this closing section right here um, i think this episode has been really fun and refreshing so thank you for joining us ed and sharing some insights on shandy shack no problem at all Liam. thanks for having me yeah not a problem really enjoyed chatting with you So thank you to everyone for listening. I always appreciate your support. Have a great week and we'll be back next week with episode 79 of the show.